Hey guys, this is episode 106 of the Geek Rex podcast, and this week we're talking about Spectre, the latest in the James Bond, Sam Mendes, Daniel Craig relaunched franchise has us all so excited. Uh, We were huge fans of Skyfall, and uh, we couldn't wait to see what they had to offer to us next. And we have a little bit of a pared down crew this time around, where I've got Hannah here right beside me, and we're joined by our friend all the way from the UK, Mr. Andrew Jameson. Hello, good to be here. Yeah, Andrew, if you remember, was on our Interstellar podcast, and we're longtime friends, as you guys probably know. So uh, I thought, who better to talk about Spectre with us than our own man from the country in which James Bond hails? And he's doing this at like one o'clock in the morning, his time, <laughs> FYI. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm dreadfully, dreadfully sorry, Andrew. I appreciate your... Uh, your uh, volunteerism here. So. <laughs> You're worth staying up for. You're worth uh, staying up for. Very, very kind. So let me start from the beginning here. And just to get grounding of your uh, interest in James Bond in general, and, you know, I know it's not a thing that appeals to necessarily everybody, but I'm just kind of curious before we get to the actual like thoughts on the new film, what have you thought about the films in the past? Have you been like a longtime fan of the franchise or is this kind of the thing where you jumped on with Craig or did you jump on with just Skyfall? Yeah, Andrew, what, what about you? I kind of came on board in 1995. I think GoldenEye was the first James Bond film I, I ever saw. Um, I loved that movie, but I was always, over the years, I've always been in love, more in love with the iconography of the character than the actual movies themselves. So I've never been a fan of Sean Connery. I don't like Roger Moore. I've never been in love with that world. I think it's kind of full of old school passive misogyny that I'm not particularly fond of. But with GoldenEye, I kind of thought I'd found a character that was particularly um, endearing in terms of the just the locations, um, the kind of nature of the storytelling, and the kind of slickness of the presentation, which was utterly destroyed by Brosnan's time as James Bond. <laughs> um, following on from that, I think I always loved the kind of... I loved Ian Fleming's Casino Royale, so I'd always loved that book. And I'd always dreamed of kind of seeing that character on screen, but it was never actually realised until Casino Royale came along. So I've always been a Bond fan, but I've always been in love with kind of the posters, the trailers, which have always been better than the movies, I would say, until now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And for my part, that's it's kind of similar. Like, GoldenEye was the first one I remember seeing as a kid, maybe. No, actually, no, that's not true. That's not true. The first James Bond movie I ever saw was Licensed to Kill, which is the Timothy Dalton like he did two movies of Bond in the eighties, and this was like when they were like trying to make Bond relevant to the times. I mean, he he was fighting like drug dealers and like dudes in Cuba and stuff, and, and dealing with cocaine guys in like Miami. So that's the one I remember, and certainly it had left no impression on me whatsoever. But yeah, GoldenEye was fine, but I never like loved those movies really. Um, no, uh, they were they're fine. I, I later on as like sort of a. I guess the, the nostalgia of the franchise sort of caught up with me at some point, and I bought a whole bunch of them. So I, I've, and I've enjoyed some of the older ones now more for their chic value than anything else. Particularly, I like From Russia with Love. I like On Her Majesty's Secret Service a lot for reasons I just I could I could spend an hour on. And I you know I enjoy Goldfinger and even even like the ridiculous Roger Moore uh, entry, The Spy Who Loved Me, is actually kind of fun. I like I like Jaws, you know, and uh, some of the iconography there. 
barring its political issues in all these films <laughs> we talked about, there's there's problems. <laughs> I mean, my God, if you ever watch Live and Let Die, it's probably the most racist Bond film imaginable. <laughs> but or the film where he puts on yellow face, which is even better. Sean Connery is an Asian man, uh, is a Whoa. sight to be seen, and you only live twice. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm like a passive fan of it. Uh, it's not my favorite franchise in the world, but it's a franchise I at least appreciate for fun. What about you, Hannah? I would say I am disinterested is the best word for it. Like, I really enjoyed Spectre, but I liked that because it was a good movie. Or no, I'm Skyfall. sorry, Skyfall. But I enjoyed that because it was a good movie and not because it was a James Bond movie. Sure. And like... I just watched Casino Royale, and that one was pretty good. But I, I can't remember which ones I've even seen in the past. Like, I know I saw a Brosnan one. I think there was Ice or something. It was really Oh, bad. no. Was there an Invisible Car as well? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw that one. Whatever that was. Like, they all run together in my head. It's just, like, generic and kind of bad. And then I saw Skyfall, and I was like, oh, okay, this is something I can actually enjoy. And then, like I said, Kyle showed me Casino Royale a few days before we saw Spectre because we heard that you needed to do that. And I thought that was pretty good too, but I'm definitely not like a fan of the series or needing to watch a Bond movie because it's a Bond movie. Yeah. So it sounds like we're all kind of in the middle here. You know, it's like either disinterest or, you know, moderate interest, maybe with a little more interest in the Craig era based on the films that we've seen and enjoyed. I would say that, because you mentioned License to Kill, and I think License to Kill came out in 1989, didn't it? And that was the same year um, Tim Burton's Batman came out. And I think License to Kill was the second movie that my parents didn't want me to go and see. So I think <laughs> with that and Batman, it kind of took on a kind of, I don't know, late um, child rebellion thing in me. So I think that kind of stoked my interest in Bond to begin with. Well, yeah. I, I always liked Timothy Dalton no matter what. So it's that, it, believe me, I would watch it any any second. I, I understand what you're saying. Well, Andrew, maybe you can tell us. I'm guessing that in England it's sort of like a socially expected thing for you to see this movie and talk about it. <laughs> like, is that yeah. the case? Are most people seeing it? Yeah, I think because uh, I went to see it on the Monday just gone in our local cinema. They kind of, all of the staff were dressed up in dresses. The regional manager was there. We got kind of souvenir tickets and it felt like a kind of, almost a kind of patriotic event, as it were. So I think over here, it's a very kind of, we do look forward to a Bond film. And I think no matter creed, colour um, or gender, um, people tend to get severely excited over Bond. It seems almost part of our cultural heritage over here. Um, and I think over the years, as Bond has kind of globetrotted around the world, it's almost, back in the day, it was more of a kind of British Empire thing, whereas now it's more of a kind of way of just... it's it, Basically, it, all cultural icons are kind of special to us, and I think that's the reason why it's taken so much money this week. I mean, it's everybody at work was talking about it. I think there is a lot of excitement, although some of it's subdued, judging from some of the responses I've heard from friends and the like. Well, it's funny to me that Bond is such a big cultural icon for Britain because so many of, like, so many of our superheroes, so many of our movies feature British actors. They're just covering it up, like, they're covering <laughs> up an English accent. But, I mean, if you think about most of the big, I mean... 
Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. like a lot of the big actors now are English, which is kind of funny if you think about it. Yeah, wait till you hear uh, Doctor Strange's New York accent in this one. Uh, I look forward to how that works out. <laughs> the Daredevil show, he's British, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, Charlie uh, Cox, yeah. A bunch of them. I mean... Yeah, yeah, there's, it, it is Superman. Uh, there's there's a pretty big strain of that uh, yeah. going on right now. But, which makes I sense. think, I think... I, th- I think the thing is with that, though, I think it's the sense of that they're British actors and characters, but they're very kind of much being taken into elements of a more American culture. Whereas I think with Bond, especially with this movie and perhaps the last one, because it's so predominantly a European cast and a kind of overtly British sentiment about the presentation of it, I think that's why um, we Brits get a bit monolithically obsessive about James Bond, I would say. Well, and that's fair. He's actually allowed to keep his English accent, so... <laughs> right. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Spectre in general. So it's the return of Sam Mendes to a film, a franchise that I think at one point he said he wasn't even going to do another one after Skyfall. And But, of course, Daniel Craig, his, his tenure would continue because he's got he's contracted for another movie after this, even. So... Do you think he's really going to do another one? Ah. <sighs> He's contracted to do another one. He's also a producer of these films, so maybe. Do you think he's just talking so much shit about the franchise because he doesn't want to do it? I don't. That I don't know. Huh. I did. You, you, that's something we could talk about here shortly as we talk about our reactions to the film first. Maybe yeah. that'll play into the two. So, with Spectre, it's it's interesting because with Skyfall. Let me just jump back for a second. It felt as though. Sam Mendes was turning away from sort of the internal storyline that was building up in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Um, basically, you know, there was this, this, this story of this organization, Quantum, and James Bond attempting to get revenge on the death of his loved one, Vesper. Uh, at the end of Casino Royale, he chases after them in Quantum of Solace, and he learns that there's this whole organization that he has to fight against, and this idiotic environmentalist, Mr. Green, blah, blah, blah. Skyfall, like, didn't touch on any of that. Skyfall was more or less a standalone entry, though I, I guess you could find some thematic underpinnings between the two. But Spectre completely turns face on that and returns to the the secret society plot that was inherent in quantum of solace and like sort of maximizes it to the absolute nth degree, mainly because they just got the rights to specter back from Kevin McClory, who was the guy that created specter and uh, it's lead villain and had been in a lawsuit with Eon productions for years over it. Mm, they got enough. the rights back. So they created this movie. So anyway, with specter, Basically, James Bond is still is still seeking potential revenge against this organization that could that may have had something to do with his past. He uh, it opens with a bravura action sequence in Mexico, and it lends itself to sort of two plots. There is James Bond chasing down the secret society, which we eventually learn is the aforementioned Spectre, and this sort of Big Brother. Edward Snowden-style surveillance plot that ties in Ray Fiennes M with Andrew Scott's C, who is sort of the new bureaucrat that's coming in to take over things in this merger between MI5 and MI6, sort of the two major, I guess, spy intelligence organizations in, in the UK. So 
these two plots kind of converge, and that is sort of ma- sort of makes the centralized point of Spectre as our favorite spy finds that all of the events that have happened in his life have sort of converged in this one film, and everything gets kind of re-referenced. So that's just sort of a generalized, non-spoiler version of the plot since the film isn't out yet in the U.S. If you guys want to get into spoilers, that's fine. Just give me a warning on that. And I'm just curious, Andrew, you saw it first. You saw it Monday last week. I have a feeling I know how you felt about the film, but uh, why don't you let all the listeners know? I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I think Sam Mendes, he builds his scenes well. Um, I like this. He kind of uses the frame to tell a story, more so than most blockbuster directors you find these days. To be honest, when I saw the film, and this is very sad, but I go back to a line from GoldenEye, where Sean Bean, who I think is playing 006, he says something like to Pierce Brosnan, of all the vodka martinis, silence the screams of the men you've killed, or do you find forgiveness in the arms of all those willing women for the, for the dead ones that you failed to protect? So I think I've always loved that line, and I thought, I'm going to get in a spoiler territory here. I thought that the story here use the Blofeld character to point towards the pathos of James Bond in terms of the fact that thematically it seems as if the Bond's past is something that is kind of defined by death, by murder, um, by the failure to protect loved ones, by the failure to protect the women in his life. And I like the fact that in this movie, although it is shoehorned in in a rather ham-fisted, ridiculous fashion, that the fact that the Spectre organization have had a role in kind of defining Bond's past, I found that to be a bit of a... It had resonance for me for the character's history. And I think with Skyfall and this movie, Mendes and Craig seem to... They do seem to have a passion for Bond's past. And I thought to raise the question of a man whose life is defined by death for that to have a resonance in terms of the actual plot dynamics, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And just the way it was shot, the performances, I thought moments in it reminded me slightly of Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy, which was obviously shot by the same cinematographer. So I just thought it was the whole thing was absolutely marvellous. I know people have said that the two female love interests, especially Monica Bellucci, are kind of underused. But again, I think... That even with the female roles, I think love in a Bond film or his relationships with women, it's either a sensual thing or it's a almost symbolic element of the plot that has to be kind of glossed over quickly, which is why I think that obviously people have said that Lay Sadu and Bellucci aren't given kind of much to do. I, I agree in terms of Bellucci, but I do think that I enjoyed the um, symbolism of his relationship with the female characters in the movie. So I didn't, I didn't, I really enjoyed it, <laughs> as you can tell. I think the the romance stuff is what I found the most irritating, personally. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I could have handled. So there were two kind of ridiculous things going on. Mild spoiler territory here, but the the bad guy you know, and his motives and his relationship to Bond and all of that, that gets a little bit ridiculous. And then his second romance, I can't even remember the character's name, the blonde girl. Madeline Swan. Swan. That romance is super ridiculous and underdeveloped. And I feel like the bad news for this movie is that those things happen at the same time. So the movie 
goes from feeling like a really good, smart movie to feeling like a disaster really quickly because it's leaning on something that makes sense. And, you know, even if it's maybe an overdone plot, like Kyle pointed out, the whole surveillance thing was a lot like Winter Soldier. I'm okay with that because it's timely and it's a big issue right now. And you're going to see lots of movies about this. So I was fine with that. But then I think the intersection of these two ridiculous characters kind of blew the ending for me, if that makes sense. I, 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 I understand that one movie isn't a lot of time to develop a romance, but, you know, they wasted time by introducing Monica Bellucci and then not using her. And then they didn't really, they didn't really go anywhere. Like Casino Royale, I bought his attraction to Vesper and I, I bought that romance. But here it was just like, I don't know, I was waiting for some like sick joke where he's sleeping with his daughter, you know, like, yeah, yeah. and it, it was just so like, you know, this colleague his age he's hooking up with his daughter and it was just rushed and bizarre and like i said it intersecting with the bad guy at that moment you know professing her love with that ridiculous i thought that was romantic i'm I'm, there's something wrong with me but yeah i thought that was very romantic (laughs) (laughs) yeah at that moment i was kind of i was overwrought with emotion but yeah i I liked that moment i really enjoyed it yeah there's a bit of um I don't know. It's not that Daniel Craig is that old, you know. I mean, he's not even fifty. I don't think so. No, but how young was Leah Le- Sadu? I mean, she's definitely in her mid twenties. Literally, he could be her dad, yeah. and it wouldn't even be that weird. Yeah, like um, well, there's also like I felt like they were sort of developing as a father daughter. That's pair. what I'm saying. It yeah. was kind of like I'm watching out for you. Your dad sent me, and it felt yeah. kind of paternal. It felt like Batman Robin. In so a way. I got yeah. really creeped out when it turned the other way. Yeah, I could, I could see, I could see that because I felt that too. Like when I was watching the movie as they were sort of developing this relationship in the second half of the film. Yeah. Because to me, this is a movie of two different halves. But in the second half of the film, when they're developing that relationship, hanging out in the hotel room, she spurns the, not even an advance, but mm-hmm. maybe an advance, and then it turns into, and then I'm, then I'm like, okay, okay, so it's, they're, they're just going to be literally sidekick and superhero. I mean, I, I get it. I'm, I'm totally on board. And then it did turn into a romance when they had sex on the train. Yeah. So. <laughs> they said, once the train stuff started, to me, that's where the movie literally, it sucks to say it, but it derailed. Like, it did. It just it went <laughs> off the rails. And it was like this thing I thought they were being really smart about doing. I guess that was just biding time. You know, they're not going to hook up yet, but they will hook up. I, mean, I guess it doesn't help that I think Leah Sadu is not the greatest actress on the planet either. It's not, the material's not her fault, but she herself doesn't necessarily salvage said material to make yeah, you believe it. She's just kind of boring, yeah. you know. That's yeah. fine, though. I don't, it wasn't her, if she was, no, but, you know, just not hooking up with him, it would have been better. I know, but maybe this is a continental Europe thing, but I thought she had rich charisma throughout the whole movie. I thought it was fantastic. And I think that love story is, I agree that it is, it, it does occur too quickly and there's not as much chemistry as there was between um, Bond and Vesper Lind in Casino Royale. But the thing here is, I think, I think is it Christoph Waltz makes the point later in the film that they are suited to one another because they've had the same kind of background in this shadowy world of intelligence and huge organizations that, take over the planet and things like that. So they do, maybe the bond between them come, bad pun, I'm sorry, but maybe the bond between them comes because of that sense that, that they are cut from the same 
shadows that that Bond comes from. That's why I took it because I was I was actually thinking this is absolutely ridiculous when I was watching it. But then the second time I saw the movie, I didn't think maybe that happened so fast because they've got that natural chemistry that comes from living in a world, this world of kind of death, espionage, and a past defined by death. So, but yeah, that was what I took from it. But I think you can look at it from his perspective that way. But I just kept thinking about it from her perspective, and it was just like, oh, daddy issues, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Even the Monica Bellucci character, I think they do do seem to understand the quality of the actress they've got in. And I think when when Bond comes to, well, press her up against the mirror in a strange fashion... Before that happens, when she's walking through her mansion, I think the I think it's Andreas Scholl as a composer, and there's that operatic music playing. And I think that does give her scenes, well, a few, two of them, the gravitas that her being in the film requires for the small amount of time that she is in, in it. So, yeah, I did absolutely love that moment in the movie. But Monica Bellucci will always do that to me. Well, sure. So, yeah, I, it's Monica Bellucci, who I wish had switched places with Leah Sidhu. I would have liked that better. I mean, obviously, the, the plot wouldn't have made sense. It almost kind of felt like they had their Bond girl picked out, and then all of a sudden, someone was like, Monica Bellucci said she'll be in this movie. And yeah. they're like, really? Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll write something in for her real quick, you know? It feels very tacked on her part. Like, her, basically, that could have been filled in with anything. And she was, like, the info dump to get him to that meeting of the Spectre organization. Which, you know, what's funny about that whole part of the film is that that's the part of the movie that I like the best. Like, from the beginning, when we were talking about death earlier, the whole Day of the Dead sequence in Mexico is That was awesome. That first, like, 20 minutes was so good. It was so well shot and so intense. Like, I I love that tracking shot where he's walking away from his, uh, you know paramour of a sort and uh he- you know heading to a spy on the gentleman talking in the window about the pale king and all this stuff and i just i just thought that that was outstandingly done yeah uh, helicopter flipping and all that i mean that was that was great and, and i loved everything really up through the first hour uh, it's kind of a shame because if the film order was reversed i think like if the cheesy romance and silly bad guy stuff had come up front and then that kind of stuff had come on the back half of the film, I think people would be calling this a much better movie because you tend to walk out remembering that ending. And then while we're talking about it, I'm like, that beginning was really, really good. But you kind of forget when you leave the theater, you're thinking about the last thing you saw. The the beginning part is definitely like the highlight of the film for me. And unfortunately, it's sort of sort of, it's kind of all goes downhill from there. I enjoyed what's instituted there at the beginning, especially because I felt like, Mindy's and the multiple screenwriters that are involved in this film were trying to bring back some of the uh, more uh, <laughs> more late period Sean Connery elements of this of this of this whole franchise with you know Mr. Hinks the the big muscular Dave Bautista character that's like stalking James Bond. Throughout. I liked that guy. Great. Yeah. Great. The, the easily the best villain of the film. By yeah. far. Uh, yeah, there kind of were three villains, and he was the best one. I, I mean, I'm a big fan in general of the the henchmen in Bond movies. I love Odd Job. I love Jaws. And I think that Mr. Hanks is sort of like in that same cloth. 
So to have this unstoppable sort of stalker coming after you, that that was a pretty exciting moment. And, and actually, him disappearing sort of dovetails with the moments that I don't like about the movie. Yep, That's yep. when things kind of veer off into like sort of, you know, no no man's land for me. But, you know, in the beginning, you've got that beautiful Sam Mendes, Hoyt Van Hoytema shooting that's reminiscent of Skyfall, the stuff that everyone still talks about. They still say, boy, remember that Shanghai sequence? Remember that sequence uh, in uh, rural Scotland where the fire is all over Skyfall Manor mm-hmm. or whatever? And the fog. Oh, my God. Just gorgeously shot stuff. And it felt like a lot of that was being repeated. Like, there's this scene where... Daniel Craig is walking into the snowy caps of, of Austria, wherever in Austria he is that snows like that. I have no idea. But he's walking into that sort of derelict-looking house, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a shot right there. And after that sort of goes away, it becomes a much lesser film to me. Like, it becomes much less interesting, um, especially once Christoph Waltz really veers his head you know yeah i almost would have loved it if you never really find out who christoph waltz is like he was so good when he was just kind of in the shadows and making creepy statements and in the background working the strings you know yeah. uh i wish they'd almost like held out another film for his reveal how do you two feel about the boardroom scene I like that. So the scene when, yeah, I thought that was absolutely fantastic because it could have played like something out of an Austin Powers movie, but it still (laughs) felt quite menacing and quite the portent around that table. It felt kind of serious, whereas it could have obviously tipped over in a parody. But I do, I suppose that's my one problem um, with the Christoph Waltz character is occasionally he seems to tip over into... I don't know what type of performance when kind of just at the end of that boardroom boardroom scene when he's welcome James you know okay (laughs) this is not menacing this is just strange and quite uncouth so no I I I never felt the threat coming from him as the leader of this organization although I did love his performance and I love the moment when um they show Madeline Swan the footage of her father killing himself I thought that that was absolutely marvelous it was when the film for me tipped over into kind of an actual kind of sense of excitement and um terror and that there was actual stakes um at play here because at times in the movie it did feel a bit like the stakes weren't too high before it's obviously personalized with the last act when he saves the supposed damsel in distress but i yeah i i but yeah i did enjoy christoph waltz his performance it was fantastic you know, maybe that's a credit to the film, too, is that the stakes didn't get too high. Like, thank God, at least, that this this isn't another film where the ending is about the end of the world if the hero doesn't do thing X or deactivate thing Y or whatever. Like, it was a, it was a very menacing threat and kind of like the consolidation of power and maybe terrorism to some degree, but it wasn't like you know, press press the button or else we'll lose 20 countries to nuclear bombs. Like, it was a little, it was a little more, like, realistic than that, I thought, which I appreciated. Yeah, I think that, and that, I think that thematic idea has run through all of these Daniel Craig Bond movies in terms of the fact 
it always seems to be a more personalized threat, which I think the audience finds that easier to relate to um, than something. I mean, because I think Kyle mentioned in his online review that this he compared this to Marvel movies, but in those movies, by the end of the film, the stakes never feel high because they're kind of tipped over into that sense of um, all-encompassing kind of world destruction that an audience maybe finds it difficult to contextualize on an emotional level because it, it tips over into that complete fantasy world that I don't think has ever been successful on in this type of narrative apart from perhaps in maybe The Dark Knight Rises or something like that. But Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know it's never going to happen. Like, you know they're not going to let the world be destroyed and that's the end of the movie. So there are no stakes at all when what's on the line is the world, you know? But when it's a person or even an organization, like, I wouldn't have completely put it past them to have ended the film with Bond being shut down for now, you know? And maybe he has to make a comeback in the next movie or whatever. Like, that's not out of the realm of possibility. So I like that the stakes are something that could genuinely occur. I guess I don't fully understand what the stakes were. Well, it was the idea of... MI5 and MI6 merging, if I'm not misunderstanding. Sure. And the idea that when that occurred, rather than having kind of these solo spy missions and information gathering, these eight countries, or however many it was, were going to link up their data, their surveillance systems, into one network. So any one person could see data, emails, information from any of those countries at the same time. Right. So like a G8 kind of thing. This could already be happening as far, you know, for all that we know sure. behind the scenes. But the, yeah, that, the idea was the threat was that consolidation of spying and tracking and knowing also that, you know, Christoph Waltz's character would have access to that information. Right, right. But I mean, I guess to, I, I'm wondering to what end because it seems like his stakes were all personal. It was all personal for him. So you had the you had the two stakes. You had the loss of the Double O program as one stake. You had the loss of privacy, security, and control in a more generic sense. Yeah. yeah. On another, and then you lastly had the personal potential loss for Bond. Gotcha. But those are all real things you know like it's not right. the the world exploding so. right it's too bad that it's all like like couched in a really set of boring set pieces in that second half of the film i agree and i, th- I think they could have taken out the super personal part for bond yeah. and just made it more about that that you know his program shutting down and the surveillance stuff and it would have been a little tidier for me yeah i mean it, 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 daniel craig is very good as James Bond. I mean, he could basically do this role, as I said in my review, in his sleep. Mm-hmm. So it, it feels like his performance is just a tad bit wasted, and he's maybe the one person that's... He he and uh, maybe Dave Bautista are the ones putting out the most maximum effort here. What about Q? Oh, Come ben on! Wishaw. Ben Wishaw. Yeah, Ben Wishaw. <laughs> ben is, is has got get some really nice moments. I don't think anyone could see that movie and say he did a bad job. Right. Like, right. he's phenomenal. Yeah, he's, no, he's very good. I, I, it's just, there's a lot of characters, and that's another yes. one of the ones I forget. I guess, you know, you say, you talk about cutting out the personal stakes, though, and I think that is unfortunately... That's where the film's sort of leading to in the second half. It's all about the, these personal stakes between Bond and, you know, fucking spoilers, Blofeld. Yeah. <laughs> and the <laughs> it's, uh, and to me, that's where the, the, that segment plus the fact that you've got 
Madeline, this Madeline Swan character who also ties into the personal stakes in a different way, just from like another angle. If you don't buy into that, um, regardless of how you know dull things look on screen, and there are way too many action sequences, by the way, and it gets really boring. My God, the movie ends with two countdown clocks. And I can't yeah. stand that. Like, one countdown clock's enough. Don't give me two. But if you can't buy into the personal stakes, I think this thing is just going to completely just, you know, fluster you. And that's that's what happened to me. This reveal of their shared hidden past is just absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, and I mean, it was, you get, like, a sentence or two about his motivations, which didn't really, I didn't really understand. <laughs> like... The hatred or why, I guess it was just rivalry of that kind. That, yeah, that is the one, that is the only element of the film where I just think it's absolutely superfluous and ridiculous. And the fact that if this is Bond's old family um, that he came to after his parents dying, where there's no sense of hatred or fear or anger between the two, um, between the antagonist and the protagonist here. Yeah, I did not understand that at all. It did not work in the script, on screen, or in development. It, 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 that's a one part of the film that knocks off about two marks for me. Yeah, it so. just felt like they got this idea in their head, and then they were like, we have to do it. And even though when they executed it, on paper it didn't really make sense they were like it's fine we're just gonna we're just gonna do it (laughs) anyway yeah let's just go for it and then they just tried to kind of work in a few sentences about it instead of really you know it it almost this revelation would have made more sense in the context of the previous movie which was actually about him and his past you know, but then they moved away from that, and then all of a sudden, you know, the last ten minutes of the movie or whatever, we're back at it. Yeah, I, I just I love I love Daniel Craig's reaction when he finds all this out. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's just I mean, it doesn't phase him whatsoever. It's hilarious to me. Um, you can almost see, yeah, his genuine the actor's actual reaction of just like, okay. All right. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure you are. <laughs> and, and as Andrew notes, Christoph Waltz, man, he is a two-time Oscar winner, but he is really one note. Like, he plays one character, and, and he plays a really boring version of it here. Um, they definitely I, seem like they were going for Moriarty. Well, that's maybe. what Blofeld is, right? I yeah. Mean, he, in, in Bond mythology, Blofeld... I mean, Dr. Evil's a parody of Blofeld. Yeah. Which made me wonder if we'd ever be able to take Blofeld seriously again. But the I guess answer to... is no. Well, I thought enough time had maybe passed. No, the answer is no. <laughs> but he's just so ineffectual. He's such a paper tiger in comparison to the physical threat of Mr. Hinks that it just doesn't come together at all. And I, But he's, I, got, I an, he's got needles. He's the world's most boring acupuncturist. He's got, yeah, he's got needles. <laughs> I guess he wasn't that good at them because they didn't do whatever they, didn't they were supposed to do. But <laughs> theoretically, scary needles. No, but I've got a dentist appointment in about two weeks' time. <laughs> so let me ask about this. So we're, we're 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 at least in agreement that the Blofeld plot does not work. And there there was one thing that really stuck in my craw, and I, I'm curious about y'all's opinion on this. He t- he takes the, the claim of being responsible for everything that's happened in the past three films. And I heard that 
And I felt like that there wasn't much resonance to it. It wasn't really explained. You just said, I was responsible for all that. Silva, Mr. Green, Le Chief, it was all me. It was all Spectre. And he doesn't quite say it that happy, but it, I don't know. To me, when I saw that, I couldn't help but feel like it weakened the films that came before it a little bit. Like, it almost cheapened the threat of Le Chief and of, you know, Javier Bardem's wonderful Raul Silva. And I just kind of wonder, do you, did you guys appreciate the connections between these movies more than I did? Was I, was I just, am I just being a grump here? I think the connection that they make reference to is more of an overarching um, kind of dynasty that have been against Bond. But I don't think it's this... Um, I think the specificity that the Blofeld character gives to Bond when he's saying this was all Spectre, I think that's more of his ego coming across than it is his actual role in the events. But again, I think that is more used more of a symbol than it is in terms of the actual plot dynamics of the other films. And I do like the fact that if this is the end of Craig's um, time as Bond, which it probably isn't, but I like the fact that you do kind of go back to those earlier movies and the kind of um, the implications of those events become clear again in the set of films because most Bond movies just ditch the other movies and don't continue on. Whereas this, it, I, I actually like the fact they did make reference to past events, but I do agree that it felt very shoehorned in to the movie. It was not done in a very elegant way at all. So Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think there's a way they could have maybe made it work, which would have just to have been, you know, in all of these movies, you've got these people with, you know, insane amounts of wealth. It's all about money and how they're using their money and how they're getting more money. So if if they had made it a little broader, like I've gone out of my way to fund people who want to hurt you, that I could buy. You know, if it's just like I've backed these organizations time after time or something like that. But he made it seem more like I've you know, indirectly killed all the people that you've loved and I've made it a point to always kill them. And I'm like, how did you kill them? What did you do? Like, it just worked out that way. And that was the part I didn't, he made, he made it so personal. It was hard to buy. But doesn't that slightly fit with the ridiculousness of the presentation of Blofeld himself? So he is the type of guy that his ego is that big yeah. that he would come in and just say, James, this was all of my doing. And that kind of, <laughs> over-the-top kind of sensibility that he has in terms of his own belief in his own um, ideologies and what he wants to present to the world, he would obviously think that it was the hand of himself personally that had a role in all these past events rather than it being just this kind of, as you say, the financing of all these illegal operations around the globe that have actually affected one of the people that he sees as interfering with the business of this um, organization, I would say. So, yeah, yeah, I did like that. Yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying. Like, maybe the, his truth isn't the truth. But then tell us what the truth is, you know, in the movie. Because otherwise, that's all we've got is he's somehow magically responsible for everything. And it's like, how they just, they and why? Yeah, there's, there's, they, they, they're not able to land the description of how Spectre really truly connects to every other film because he said so i mean the magic the magic ring has an org chart in it apparently that tells you everything you need to know it seems but it's still i mean if you look at the motivation of a guy like silva or like Sheaf, 
they don't give they don't give a shit about Bond, really. No, I mean, no, he Silva, just Silva wanted him. Yeah, right? yeah, and it, it has nothing to do necessarily with Blofeld. Well, and you can you can see how Blofeld could find someone like that and yeah. know that he's got a vendetta against him and say, yeah, you know, go kill it, go ahead, here's some cash, whatever, that's fine. But I just I don't. They didn't present it in a way that made sense. It had me really kind of furrowing my brow and wondering what was going on or what explanation was going to come. And then it didn't really come. So. I, just, I like Skyfall so much that I, I want that to be the bad guy of that film. I don't want to think now in the back of my head, in the continuity of this series, that guy is funded by somebody else. You well, know? everyone's funded by somebody else. Wow. I mean, that's just but, how it is. So, But do you, do, you, do you two think that this almost retconning of those movies, do you think it's as bad as Captain America Winter Soldier? Because that film has now ruined, well, it's ruined a set of films I don't really like anyway. But that retconning did just make me think this is absolutely unbelievably ridiculous. Whereas with this... It didn't feel as if it, when I watch those other Bond movies that I'll suddenly be asking questions of them more so than I would be after seeing this movie. Whereas with Winter Soldier, when it was kind of the whole conspiracy, it just it does not work within the narrative of all those movies, I don't oh, think. You mean so, like the Hydra concept? Yeah, the Hydra concept. I don't think that works. similar, isn't all. it? It's kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think our, you know, our, our friend Chris Tapley... He said that they should have been honest and just called it Hydra instead of Spectre, <laughs> because they're, it, it, they're, they run pretty parallel, you know, in certain areas. Even though you say it's relevant, the, there are some very similar beats between the Winter Soldier sure, and no. Spectre. But I, I guess my point is, I'm not going to hold it against sure. it for being topical. No, I get that. But just be a good movie and be a topical one. You know, if you're treading the same ground as somebody else. You know, do it differently or do it well. It just kind of broke my heart a little bit, this movie. Like, I haven't been this deflated about a cinematic experience in a long time. Well, you didn't see Crimson Peak. So. Uh, well, no, fair <laughs> enough. But uh, there's... I, I that, it, it was because of the promise of so much of this movie. It was There was such a great team behind it, you know, give or take the writers and all the issues that was going on in the pre-production process of getting the script together. And there's a lot to talk about there probably, but I won't get into it. Basically, almost the entire team, barring Roger Deakins, returned for for this, this comeback. And Did the writers return? Was yes. It, yeah, yes. Okay. So John Logan wrote... Okay, <laughs> Wade and Purvis wrote the original draft of Skyfall, right? John Logan came in and rewrote it when Sam Mendes came on board. On the other end, Inspector, John Logan wrote this, the original draft of Spectre, which then Wade and Purvis came in to apparently lighten up some and to make funnier and add a little but more But that's it, just stuff. adding a few jokes, or apparently, did they change the plot? No one knows. No one really knows, but what I've read from online reports is that they may have just lightened it up some and made it less of a dour experience. So we could still blame John Logan for the major like flaws of this film if you see them as flaws. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big flaws are conceptual, I think. Yeah. So. I think the, the, the only thing is, though, Skyfall itself, because it's not, as you said earlier, it's not defined within this universe of Bond, it's kind of separate. The, the sad thing is that Skyfall seems to under, have this rich understanding of the history of the entire franchise, and yet to me, in Skyfall, that took me completely out of the movie, in terms of 
Um, I think there was a moment when he drives M out of London and he threatens to eject her in the old Aston Martin's ejector seat. We've never seen that car in this set of films. So moments like that in Skyfall actually took me completely out of the narrative and made me think that I was actually watching some part of some James Bond tribute movie instead of an actual story. So I think the bits like that in this movie, like with the white tuxedo um, and the... Um, train battle which is similar to something else in another Bond film it didn't take me out of the movie this time whereas with Skyfall the second half of that movie I kind of want the more salacious and ridiculous sensuality of this movie rather than a kind of Judy Dench death parade that Skyfall becomes which is fantastic but it's more operatic and kind of there's more pathos than that movie whereas here it felt as if I was watching all my favourite characters but kind of brought up to date and that felt wonderful yeah i mean i will say i feel like skyfall is a bond movie for people who don't really care about bond movies yeah like me and i feel like specter is maybe more of the opposite a bond movie for people who are really into all the bond history and heritage which i i guess you run the risk of really pissing them off by retconning stuff and doing all that but at least then maybe you kind of appreciate the the plot devices used like the romance. If you're okay with all those old bond movies, you're probably fine with it in this one too, you know? But I think in those older bond movies though, the romances there were absolutely just unbelievably ridiculous. Like if you think the romance in this movie is ridiculous, I remember watching tomorrow never dies with Pierce Brosnan and he has a love affair with um, Terry Hatcher and it's just it's just mind-numbingly bad. So I think I think some Bond fans have forgotten how bad Bond films actually are, and then they come to Spectre and have kind of they don't, we, they don't seem to understand that this is really good compared to the utter and complete nonsense that they thought was good for the past year, so many years. I can't grade it on so, the curve, though, man. Like I tell you, it's not as bad as Live and Let Die or as awful <laughs> as You Only Live Twice, but it's still it's still immensely flawed to me. I mean, I mean, just take the Blofeld reference, which obviously is pitched at longtime Bond fans. Because I got to tell you. Lopez hasn't shown up in a movie in, what, like 40 years, okay? Right. I wouldn't have yeah. known who that was. Exactly. That's you told me before we saw it who you thought he would be, so yeah. I kind of roughly had an idea. But <laughs> That reference falls almost as flat as the Khan reveal does. And a matter of, as a matter of fact, in our audience, when we saw Khan, or when we saw Star Trek Into Darkness early, which is what I was just referencing without mentioning, at least people reacted to that. Yeah. I feel like nobody reacted to that Blofeld reveal. And maybe that's bigger in the UK. But it, that that was like, wait, why does he have a different name? What does that mean? Yeah, Andrew, did people react to that in your screening? I was shuffling in my seat and almost having a panic attack when that happened. But no, not many <laughs> <laughs> No, not many people did, to be honest. Even here. I think you heard a few sizes in the audience, but it wasn't, there weren't gasps or cries or anything like that. It wasn't, I think we all knew that was coming, really, which yeah. I had to find a bit, I wasn't offended by it, but I'd like to be treated with respect as an audience. And instead of saying that you're not Blofeld, it would have been nice just to know that that's what we were getting with this movie. I felt like the director had done a bit of a J.J. Abrams and it kind of, yeah, yeah, he's not Khan. It's not Blofield. Yes, yes, it is. We all know it is. Did you say it us. wasn't? Yes. Oh, yeah, really? he said it wasn't so many times. So Yeah, it, it almost would have been better yeah. if they weren't trying to surprise you with that. So. 
they did that with Talia in The Dark Knight Rises, but that did not wind me up at all. Whereas here, I just thought, I've known it's Blofeld for the whole movie, and now you're going to tell me? So, yeah, that did not go down well with me. But I I was excited, though. I kept hoping there was going to be, like, a real twist on this whole thing, and that, like, Monica Bellucci was going to be Blofeld. (laughs) You know, (laughs) really shake this up, and that uh, he was just going to be a decoy, you know, like uh, Ken Watanabe was in that Batman movie. But instead, it was exactly as things appear. And that's fine. I don't need major twists because the twist they gave us fucking sucked. But I I still just kind of wanted to be a little more surprised than I was, given all the the mystery around Christoph Waltz's casting. But no. I wonder what the running time was of the movie up to the train. Because I really do think pre-train, you've got a solid, solid movie. Oh, it's Skyfall level for me. Yeah, yeah. it was a really good movie. And then post-train... Which felt like it took forever, but probably wasn't actually even half of the movie. Maybe it was. I, I, it just I, dragged so bad for I'd me. I'd say 90 minutes, probably. You, uh, thought, you think that was 90 minutes? Yeah, Man. I think so. I think that was like an hour and a half to get to that train sequence. So, yeah. The moment they start talking about that gun between the two of them and Mr. Hanks falls off the train, that is where it all ends for me. But, You've but that's all the spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> No, but she holds his hand in the car. That's after the train. That's such a stunning moment. I loved that, that moment. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I love that moment. And the surprise on his face when he sees that she's moved her hand over. I thought it was lovely. But yeah. So let me ask this question then. Sam Minis is done. There's no way he's coming he's back. He's officially done. Yeah, this is it for him. And I, who can blame him, probably given the production issues that surrounded this movie. What do you want to see happen next with Bond? I mean, do you think they should continue the serialization of this narrative? Do you think they should go back to the standalone? Should there be a new Bond altogether? Do you have, like, a wish list for things that would happen, Hannah? Do you uh, have any thoughts on that? Well, I can tell you what I don't want to see, which is this Time.com list of the next 155 best candidates to become the next James Bond. Andrew, I don't know if you've seen this. No. It's one of the worst lists I've ever seen. Jude Law, Ewan McGregor, uh, Orlando Bloom is up there at number six. Sarah Michelle Geller is also highly... <laughs> oh, no. Why? Why? Why would any of these people be good choices? Joaquin Phoenix? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's Michael yeah, Fassbender not on the list. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Scott Speedman? Like, why? Is he even alive? <laughs> it's just... It's such a random list. I like his bond, Daniel Craig, but I wouldn't mind... A change up in terms of who I feel like it's really boring to say Idris Elba because that's all anyone has been saying for the past year ever since the Sony hack but that I really think he'd be a really good bond and I think one of the essential qualities for being a good bond and what's so flawed about this list from time is that you need to have not already played this part essentially a million times and I think a lot of the candidates on this list they're picking them because they've done you know, guns and chasing and espionage or whatever. But I think, like, Idris Elba has done the detective side of things a bit, but he's he's done a lot more than that. And so it's, it's why I think he would be a good Bond. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point you raise. I mean, uh, Daniel Craig had that movie Layer Cake with Matthew Vaughn, which was sort of his uh, guns and, and crime type film, action film. And then you had Pierce Brosnan, who played Remington Steele, 
for like you know years and years and years in England. I think it kind of like cheapens the casting if you go with someone who's just done that archetype over and over. Yeah. And I think you bring something more complex to the character if you pick someone who's done dramatic roles and more serious acting. And that's why I think Idris Elba would be a better choice. Idris Elba was Luther, though. That's, that's what I'm saying. He did a little bit of that, although not really the same. He definitely wasn't, like, seducing women and running around with a gun and shooting people. Like, that was a different kind of a role. And certainly his role on The Wire was completely different. Right. Like, he's he's done a lot of really different things and could bring a lot of depth to it. But in general, I just think someone who's both strong-looking but has serious drama experience would be a good choice. I really hate how many comedian-type people they put on that list. I would not want to see a funny Bond. I like the serious dark Bond, please. Andrew, what about you? What I think they should have done with this movie was to say, this is the end of Daniel Craig, and let him let this Bond go off into the sunset um, with his love interest, and then that's fine, and then you can start over. But instead, I think we might get kind of another sequel to this film that'll continue on this plot and narrative, which I don't particularly want. I think the next Bond, I would not want it to be Idris Albert, simply because in t- you have to... Fleming's character... It's nothing like Idris El- Elban. So I would not want him to be the character because I, he, he has the necessary gravitas. He's a tremendous actor, absolutely fantastic. But is he James Bond? To me, it has to be... I would go for Michael Fassbender, but I know that obviously he is kind of... He has the dramatic chops and he has that sense of um, almost cold malice about him that I think would be good to bring more to James Bond, the character. But I, I don't know where they go after this. To be fair, um, I know that Barbara Broccoli, she's such a, I think she's a really gifted producer. Um, and I think she is good at bringing all these um, disparate elements together. But I'd like to see Fassbender in the role um, and perhaps just see where it goes. But yeah, yeah, actually, no, I could take another um, Madeline Swan and James Bond love movie, to be fair. So, yeah, I, w- I would like to see this creative team continue, obviously, minus Sam Mendes. But it's a bit, they've left it in a bit of a um, quandary as to where to go next, just with the the ending feels a bit definitive to me. But Well, Casino Royale was, like, so uh, different for the series anyway, because it was the first time, because, you know, Bond has been such a static character throughout mm-hmm. his entire existence. Other than changing actors and changing tones, these movies never really connected, except in the most superficial of ways. With Casino Royale, you had your first, like, okay, we're going to actually... Go back to the beginning, and this was our first real, actual, legit reboot of the series. So, you've rebooted it. What do you do next when you have to change actors? I mean, do you pull, like, what, what happened when George Lazen It's like became, the doctor. Like, well, light will shoot out of, out of his arms, and then he'll change faces. <laughs> and, yeah. um, no, but, I mean, what, what George Lazenby did when he took over the role from Sean Connery to some people's, you know, thoughts unsuccessfully, first line he had was, well, this never happened to the other guy. That's and it, funny. And it was just a cute little throwaway yeah. line that, uh, you know, has spawned horrific fan theories that will never go away. But I, I feel like sidestepping is the only answer here. You can't reboot again. Because if you do you run the risk of an amazing Spider-Man kind of thing with Andrew Garfield. No one wants to see that again. And, I mean, it's... I feel like it's a danger. So, if I were in charge of the Bond franchise, I would look 
at potentially I, I wouldn't I would never remake any of the old films but if there are any Fleming novels still left to be sort of unearthed und- I don't know if there are or not I'm not familiar enough with the source material perhaps an, a straight there are none there are none um, oh, well. I think they've run out of titles now as well. Oh, okay, even short stories are gone. But and, one yeah, gone. the most the most recent thing that was published was a grotesque letter um, that Fleming wrote to um, that, a production colleague or something, informing him that Pussy Galore was actually a lesbian, but Bond had liberated her from that um, something that he describes as a sociopathic trait, oh, which was oh, just interesting. An interesting, an interesting window into the times. I think when Fleming was alive. But yes, I saw that published today and it made me sick. <laughs> but yes, there's a part of me that almost wishes that period pieces were more successful because I, I feel like James Bond is still like a a relic of the Cold War. And when you don't have the Cold War necessarily involved in his storytelling, some of the charm gets lost a little bit in in favor of this sort of Jason Bourne type storytelling. So, but those movies don't sell, so you can't do that. So here's what I would do. I would probably bring Martin Campbell back, boring Martin Campbell. And I, I bet this may be what happens. As much as Green Lantern may have hurt him, he did direct GoldenEye. He did direct Casino Royale, both of these sort of, reinvigorations of James Bond. I'm sure Barbara Broccoli, and this is what I would do too. I would go hire Martin Campbell again, and I would probably uh, make the progressive move of hiring like Chiwetel Ejiofor as James Bond. Or, you know, it's sort of, Michael Fassbender would be great too, but the problem with Michael Fassbender for me is that I can't see him as a sexual being. With That's what I was just going to say. He's so <laughs> sterile and he lacks kind of sexual chemistry, I think, yeah. because of that coldness. It'd be interesting to see if he could exude, like, believable romance. Yeah. I've never seen a movie where he has. Yeah, I mean, even a movie like Shame, which is about him having sex, he's well, like a predator. Yeah, that wasn't <laughs> romance. Yeah. I know, In I know. fairness, but I can't, I mean, there's been movies where he's had a love interest, I'm sure, but I can't remember ever thinking for a minute of him as like an emotional being. He's just so good at the cold thing. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I don't have like a big dream casting list really beyond that. I mean, I'd like to see Bond change like definitively, but not necessarily rebooting the franchise, just... I would even keep Ray Fiennes and that whole team behind him. And How about Q becomes Bond? <laughs> Let's have Ben Whishaw be the new Bond. Smart is the new sexy, right? And that can be... He's, he's everyone's favorite part. I'm just kidding. That would be terrible. No one would like it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. I would like it. I would, too. <laughs> well, all right. I think well, on that note, we'll probably give it a call here. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's uh, always great talking with you, and your perspective has uh, really uh, helped, uh, help, 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 help give us new light on this film. Yeah, when you're chugging coffee in four hours from now, when you wake up for the day, <laughs> just know oh, we're yeah. super grateful. Thank you. It's been nice. It's been nice to be here. Well, we'll uh, we'll be back next week with uh, with another another episode, and you can see Spectre in theaters now, and uh, decide for yourself. Have fun. Mm-hmm.